0: Hello, you're listening to The Elegant Mind, broadcast on KAPY Valley Radio 104.9 in Washington State's Lower Snoqualmie Valley, including the communities of Duval, Carnation, and Redmond Ridge. The Elegant Mind is a discussion program in which the ideas, notions, perspectives, and practices of the Tibetan mind sciences the life sciences, the Buddhist practices that have emerged from the Tibetan Plateau and have penetrated life here in the West, are discussed with the practical implications they provide in terms of our living lives that are happier, more wholesome, more beneficial, more meaningful, and simply more authentically pleasant. My name is Mark Winwood, and I am the host of The Elegant Mind, It's an honor and pleasure to be here with you and I thank you for tuning in. On today's broadcast, we're going to answer a couple of questions that I've been asked recently by friends and students. One of them is a very basic question and it's why am I doing this? Why do I spend so much time sharing Buddhist ideas and Buddhist notions? Why do I spend so much time doing the writing that I do and these broadcasts? Why am I planning to be away for a month in Nepal, being on retreat, helping other folks on retreat get the most out of their time in monastery outside of Kathmandu? Why am I doing this? The second question that I'm going to answer is perhaps just a little bit more challenging. It was posed by a a longtime student who is having difficulty overcoming what we call self-centeredness, self-obsession, self-desire, selfishness, trouble overcoming always thinking about themselves first and looking for a perspective or something that they can figuratively hang their hat on when their thoughts become very self-oriented to open them up to consider others more naturally or more instinctively or intuitively so we're going to answer these two ideas why am i doing this and how do i how can i help to avoid the excessive self-centeredness I experience on a regular basis. Uh, in between the two we're going to listen to some music, as we always do, from Bobby Vega. The music we'll listen to today was recorded live in San Francisco in 1997. So that would be 21 years ago when he was the bass player and one of the musical geniuses in a Bay Area band called Zero. We're going to listen to one of their beautiful instrumental songs called Forever is Nowhere. Some of you may be familiar with it. So that's our program for today. Two discussions that hopefully provide some answers and some beautiful music in between. This is The Elegant Mind on Valley 104.9 FM, serving the Lower Sequim Valley of Western Washington State. We're also streamed on the internet at www.valley1049.org. So, as promised, why am I doing this? You know, I'm, it's 2018, I'm 66 years old, so I was born in the 50s and had my many of my formative years in the 60s and the 70s. And as you know, back then, my generation didn't really trust the establishment very much. In my younger days, I blamed society for most things that went wrong, and I took pride in being an individual with the freedom to live spontaneously. I like to follow my heart rather than my head, particularly when my actions went against the norm. Many of you who know me know of the somewhat tumultuous life that I've led and you know, two marriages, six children, a career in the newspaper business in New York City, and then the internet as the World Wide Web came to be, based in New York, and then in San Francisco, relocating to Florida, now out here in Washington, Washington State, east of Seattle, and a whole lot of drama and excitement in between. But from an early age, even when I was in college in New York City, there was something about the Eastern religions, there was something about Buddhism in particular, that kind of helped me put things together, even though I wasn't mature enough to obey and follow what I had come to see or what I was beginning to learn, there was still something about it. And as I got older, I began to see very, very clearly that Buddhism helped point out that as long as we remain ignorant of our true nature, we can't trust either our heads or our hearts to truly lead us to happiness and away from suffering. It's a big insight, a big understanding. So putting it simply, selfish behavior leads to unhappiness. Actions motivated by genuine concern for the welfare of others lead to happiness. So to avoid the pitfalls of life, All we have to do is to abandon our selfishness. So easy. Well, really, no, not so easy. The complete abandonment of selfishness is only attained when we are able to generate the wisdom that realizes how our self is empty of being what we think it is. Until we gain such wisdom, we should block selfishness by being mindful of the motivations behind our behavior. Before doing any action, we should stop and ask ourselves, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this generally in terms of sharing Tibetan ideas, Buddhist practices, and why am I doing this on the micro level? Each moment of my life, every, every happenstance, every motivation, every intention, every action, why am I doing this? It's said that our human behavior is derived from nature and nurture, our genetic makeup and environmental influences on our lives. The Buddha, the wise professor, explained that a third important influence on our behavior is the psychological and karmic predispositions that we have inherited from previous lives. Through these predispositions or inclinations, we're born with an established self-identity, Nature and nurture merely modify what is already there. Thus our personalities and what we do with our lives are eminently changeable. We're not like a statue carved out of granite that must remain the same forever. We have no control over our genes, well not yet anyway, but we can improve our personality and behavior by selecting constructive environmental influences and psychological tendencies and abandoning their destructive opposites. The opportunity to improve our personality is afforded by our quality of discriminating intelligence or knowledge that is free from doubt. In relation to our behavior, the term discriminating intelligence means we can distinguish between correct and incorrect actions in terms of achieving happiness for ourselves and others, and we can do this through analyzing our experiences in life. All religions, Really, all religions teach a fundamentally similar type of morality, although we may rely upon Moses or Christ or Buddha for the theory. The knowledge of morality that we acquire through this analysis is ours. It belongs to us. Seeing the underlying principles of morality is one thing, but then acting upon them is another. Acting in a moral way is difficult because sometimes we have to oppose our habitual tendency to follow innate and acquired selfishness and desire and anger. This is where faith is required. Trust in the purity of motivation of our spiritual teachings and in our ability to attain our goals of awakening give us the courage and determination to choose moral behavior and oppose non-virtuous impulses that arise in our mind. Faith and morality provide the foundation of the path to freedom from suffering. So in general, our ideas or impulses to do things are either stupid or intelligent. Stupid ideas come from mistaken beliefs. Drinking excessive quantities of alcohol with the belief that it's a manly and honorable thing to do is an example of behavior arising from a stupid idea Drinking excessive quantities of alcohol through desire for the state of intoxication, believing it to be a state of superior happiness, as so many do, is equally stupid. There are plenty of other examples of stupid ideas in our lives. I invite you to think about these as well. And then there's the intelligent ideas. Intelligent ideas come from morality and loving kindness and wisdom, understanding the relative and ultimate natures of things. In the Buddhist terms and the Tibetan mind science terms, relative wisdom includes our understanding of the changeable nature of everything around us. By not clinging to the wrong concepts of a fixed world where everything and everybody is safely predictable we become much more easygoing and capable of adapting to change. This relative wisdom also includes our understanding of the unsatisfactory nature of whatever has arisen from karma and afflictions. Imperfection rules our bodies. Imperfection rules our minds and our environment. If we can enjoy being what we are and avoid feeling frustrated every time things go wrong, we will be much easier to live with. Those who possess this wisdom understand that nothing exists in its own right. This wisdom allows us to mature and gain control over our lives. Whenever our minds have wisdom, unconditional love, patience, and compassion, we will always have intelligent ideas. Let me say that again. Whenever our minds, whenever wisdom emerges and abides in our minds, accompanied by unconditional love, patience and compassion. We will always have intelligent ideas. We can trust our hearts when these attitudes are present. So why do I do this? I do this to help people begin to understand what lies behind our will to do the things that we do. The basic urges that are common to us are our needs to be happy and to avoid suffering. In following these needs, we may experience psychological conflict. Intellectually, we we may be trying to live according to the moral standards of society, but because of immoral behavior in past lives, we have the instinct to break those standards. When we have no means of discriminating between stupid and intelligent urges, we will have no freedom. We will be unable to avoid following the urges of self-cherishing, anger, and attachment because they are stronger, having been deeply embedded in our minds during countless previous lives under the influence of ignorance. Adapting the moral code of not harming others is the first step towards freedom. It gives us a choice when we ask, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? If the urge to do something is more selfish than beneficial for others, we should drop it. If it is more beneficial for others, we should do it. When the intention to help others is supported by perfect concentration and wisdom that understands the relative and ultimate realities of ourselves and the world, we will have freedom in our lives. Instinctive urges will never again obscure the purity of our intentions. We'll have free will. We'll have the ability to be happy, truly happy, genuinely happy so why do i do this why do i spend so much time talking about this there's something deep inside when i came to encounter these teachings to study these teachings to embrace these teachings a certain responsibility began to emerge i guess it's a responsibility that emerged from the understanding that we're all connected we're all interconnected with one another we're all dependent upon one another. None of us are an island. None of us is an island upon ourselves. We're comprised of infinite aspects that come from different times and different places, different people, infinite past lives. In understanding this and seeing this, the fabric of what we truly are, we understand that we're just one thread, uh, dependent upon all the other threads around us, to hold things together, and in being that one thread, surrounded by and supported by all the other threads, a responsibility arises, a responsibility to share what it is we know, what it is we have come to understand, what it is we believe responsibility arises to share, to show and to share, to understand more and more, to cultivate the ability to skillfully share. This is why I do this, and it is a source of great joy, and I have seen in many people over the years that have participated in these teachings as well, the joyful responsibility that arises and the skill that develops in sharing as best each of us can those finest aspects of ourselves with whomever we're with with whomever is coming our way whoever's crossing our path we share deliberately we share through attitude we share through our intentions we share through our actions and you know, just because this program deals with the Tibetan ideas, the Tibetan sciences, mind sciences, life sciences, the Tibetan perspectives of living, the Buddhist notions as they have manifested through the Tibetan culture and made their way here to the West, this is not just about being a Tibetan and it's certainly not about being a Buddhist. These are, these are human values. These are human values. And this is demonstrated by how these teachings emerging from the Tibetan Plateau with the Dalai Lama's escape from Chinese oppression in 1959, how these teachings have manifested throughout the world, Australia, New Zealand, and and Eastern Europe and Western Europe, North America, South America. These teachings are everywhere and they are not embraced by people who necessarily want to become Buddhists. They're not embraced by people who want to leave whatever religion it is that they practice or have practiced, or whether they have no religion is immaterial. These are practices of mind science, of life science, of humanity. These are teachings and practices of wisdom that bring forth fearlessness and confidence, that bring forth clarity and compassion and kindness and love and generosity. And acceptance, these are teachings that reduce fear and hatred, fear and anger, fear and jealousy, fear and arrogance, depression, selfishness, insecurity, unquenchable desires, pride, and self-importance. You know, when it comes to pride and self-importance, sometimes people question, well, why Why? Why is pride and self-importance harmful? Well, again, when we have the exaggerated mind of pride and self-importance, it leads us to believe that we're special or we're better than anyone else. So our importance becomes exaggerated. We cultivate this very strongly grasping self And then we begin to look down upon others with disrespect. We can feel superior to everyone, can make us feel we possess qualities that we don't, can also cause us to rejoice at others' hardships. We can feel proud about sometimes overcoming or maybe even cheating or tricking others, being more clever than others learning how to cut to the front of the line effectively and get in front of others. So pride, this all comes out of pride, excessive pride. Pride can be a great obstacle to the development of kindness and compassion and equanimity. So this is why this is why we do this it's these understandings and again i want to emphasize that r word that so many of us dislike that r word responsibility personal responsibility it's not something that we look for it's not something that we try to cultivate it's something that arises naturally when we begin to really get an accurate idea, a genuine, authentic view of who we are and who we're not, and how we relate to everything around us and how everything around us relates to us. This sense of responsibility begins to emerge, and then we do what we do to meet our responsibility. In, in my case, I like to share these teachings and these understandings here in the West, As many of you know, we have regular bi-weekly, every other Thursday meetings at Longevity Foods in downtown Duval on Highway 203. We hold online teachings and discussions, and there's these broadcasts and writings and an e-magazine that goes out every week, and there's a whole host of different methods of outreach to begin to share these teachings. There's no obligation for any of it. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to pass any test. You don't have to commit loyalty or vows or anything, anything like that, we offer these uh, this information freely and are available to anyone who has questions or inclinations to read more, to learn more. If this piques your curiosity or your interest and you're inclined to learn more, please feel free to send me an email at the elegant mind at valley1049.org. The Elegant Mind at Valley1049.org. That email will come to me. I'll be happy to respond. You can also visit the website of our group at www.chenrizigproject.org. That's www.c-h-e-n-r-e-z-i-g-p-r-o-j-e-c-t.org. Lots of information there, including a calendar that is, I believe, out of date. But I'll, we'll get to that. But there's email and contact information there as well. Lots to read. And I do hope, if you're at all inclined, to reach out and be in touch. I uh, urge you to do so. Follow your inclination to uh, to learn more. So once again, this is Mark Winwood. And you're listening to The Elegant Mind on valley1049.org, FM serving the lower Snoqualmie Valley of Washington State. So it's music time. And as you know, each week I share some music from a a friend of mine, long friend of mine, long-time friend of mine, named Bobby Vega. Bobby is a Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area musician. He's a bass player. He's a composer. He's a teacher. He's world known in the music industry and Bobby has uh, we've been friends for a long time and we've we've gone through some things together and when Bobby heard that I was doing this program he offered any of his music any music that he's played he's offered where I feel it's appropriate or would be enjoyed to, uh, to share his music. So we've been doing that week after week after week, and today I'm going to share with you a song that his band Zero, Zero, played. Zero was a Bay Area band, Northern Bay Area, centered mostly in uh, West Marin County. The members of the band are Bobby Vega on the bass, Steve Kimmock on the guitar, Martin Fierro plays the saxophone, Chip Rowland on the keys, Greg Anton on the drums. And this particular tune, they played lots of concerts. They were very popular up and down the west coast and the east coast as well. New York City, Philadelphia, Boston, very, very popular. They don't play together anymore. Martine Fiera passed away some years ago, and each of the band members now does their own, their own projects as those opportunities arise. So this is an instrumental song played, I believe, at the Maritime Hall in San Francisco in 1997. The name of the song is Forever Is Nowhere, and I Will Be back with you after the song to discuss our second topic of the day, which is how do I stop being so darn self-centered. So enjoy the music and I'll see you on the other side. Música Okay, so that was Forever is Nowhere performed by Zero at the Maritime Hall, March 27th, 1997. The Maritime Hall in San Francisco, sometimes known as the Longshoreman's Hall. Zero, Forever is Nowhere. So, as promised, how do we begin to reduce the instinctive, intuitive, unconscious? Self centeredness with which we perceive everything around us, everything about us? How do we stop instinctively seeing everything in terms of what it means to me, but perhaps a little bit more equanimously, a little bit more open mindedly in terms of how does it all mean? What does it all mean to us? Rather than me, what does it mean to us? And what I'd like to do is read to you, I don't usually read things on on The Elegant Mind, but I'd like to read to you a, uh, an excerpt from one of my favorite books, which, believe it or not, has nothing to do with anything Tibetan at all. The name of the book is The Seventh Telling, and it's written by a rabbi, in the, I believe, the Miami area, named Mitchell Chevitz, The Seventh Telling. It's a novel, and it's the story of a Kabbalistic meditation teacher, practitioner, and some of his experiences with family, with practitioners. And it's a really, it's a wonderful book. You know, it's one of those books that a friend of mine, my friend Bernie in Brooklyn, Suggested that i read it and when i was done with it i was i was absolutely enthralled it was just such a fizz a long time ago fantastic read it's one of those books that at some point in time i went on to amazon and ordered i don't know what it was five or six or ten i'm not even sure copies and had them sent to my friends to read this book read this book the seventh telling and i'd like to read an excerpt it's metaphorical and is set on a submarine in the Gulf of Tonkin during the hostilities there. So it's a Navy story, and I believe it's useful in illustrating self-centeredness. Lieutenant Kytan had been an operations officer on the submarine during his tour of duty in the Gulf of Tonkin. He supervised the enlisted men who maintained and manned the equipment, In the Combat Information Center or the CIC. In the CIC there were two displays, radar and the DRT, the Dead Reckoning Tracer. Eight hours a day in two four-hour watches Lieutenant Kitan sat at the radar console. The antenna turned on a mast above him. He was the center of the world aircraft appeared in as electronic marks moving toward him away from him always in relation to him each electronic mark was labeled known or unknown friendly or bogey the electronic marks inched across the radar screen Each inch on the screen was 20 miles in the air. Closing speeds were in the neighborhood of a 1,000 miles per hour. With the touch of a button or a voice command, he could dispatch a friendly aircraft outbound at the speed of sound to confront an inbound unknown aircraft and, if necessary, remove it from the sky before it could reach the center of the screen. All that mattered was that no hostile aircraft should reach the center of the screen or even get within two inches. A surface threat was treated differently. Early one morning at 0200 hours, General Quarters was sounded throughout the ship. The piercing sound of the boatswain's pipe awoke everyone, as if the shriek was not enough. Urgent words followed. General Quarters! General Quarters! This is not a drill! All hands, man their battle stations. General quarters, general quarters, I repeat, this is not a drill. And again, the urgency of the boatswain's pipe. An unknown surface target had been detected by radar, 30 miles away and closing. The image was plotted on the radar console, but also on the DRT. The DRT, the dead reckoning tracer, was a light table. Tracing paper stretched out across it. A dot of light projected from below up to the paper represented one's own ship. As the ship moved through the ocean, the dot of light moved across the paper. A technician marked the dot from time to time as it inched across the table. Everything else in the ocean, moving or unmoving, was also marked on the table. One line represented one's own ship. Another was the shore of Hainan Island to the east. Hai Phong on the coast of North Vietnam was marked to the west. The unknown surface target was plotted northwest, moving erratically. It was at the DRT that the situation was evaluated. Like gods, the officers stood above the world watching the movement of all the ships in the ocean. Here a ship might appear and there disappear, either out of range or removed by missiles or gunfire. It was from the DRT that the decision was made to engage or not. Was the threat real? Lives depended on the evaluation. On the DRT, one's own ship was but another track along with all of the other tracks visible in the world. On the radar console, one was at the center of the world. And everything else in the world moved in relation to that center. The radar console presented a subjective view of the world the DRT presented an objective view. The officer who sat at the radar console became alarmed and then more alarmed as the target closed. In missile range, he declared. At the DRT, the situation was less alarming. Wait, Lieutenant Kiton suggested, he's no threat yet. In gun range, the radar officer shouted, we can get him with our guns. A message confirmed that fire control had acquired the target. Wait, Lieutenant Kighton suggested again from the dead reckoning tracer. It's still no threat. The captain needs a recommendation, the executive officer proclaimed. I need a recommendation. Speak to me. Shoot, said the radar officer. Wait, said Lieutenant Kighton. The executive officer looked over the shoulder of the radar officer saw the target and then turned to the drt lieutenant kytan traced for him the erratic path no threat yet he repeated to the bridge the executive officer said recommend guns locked on and tight to kytan he said you'd better be right four hours they watched the track of the unknown surface target was it a torpedo boat a fishing boat it hovered at extreme torpedo range. To be sure, they might take it under fire. 300 lives were at stake aboard the Navy submarine. Maybe four lives aboard a fishing boat, if that's what it was. Four Vietnamese or Chinese lives on a fishing boat that had wandered too far from port. Or nothing at all, Lieutenant Kiton ventured. It doesn't move like a boat. It might just be some garbage floating in the water. The sub remained at general quarters. All battle stations manned until daylight. Radar traced the target. Fire control locked on. At daylight, the target vanished from the screen. There was nothing there. No torpedo boat. No fishing boat. No hostile boat. No garbage. Nothing. They had been tracking an electronic anomaly all night. There was no threat. Nothing to be destroyed other than the night's sleep. The crew, not on watch, returned to bed for an hour or so. You were so certain, the executive officer said to Lieutenant Kytan. What would you have said if you were at the radar console? Lieutenant Kytan shrugged. Shoot, he admitted. It's all a matter of point of view. From the inside looking out, it was a threat. But from here looking down, nothing. So thank you to Mitchell for that for that illustrative metaphorical story. You know, it's all a matter of view. This is one of the things that the Tibetan teachings are so clear on. Everything that we encounter, everything that we experience, it's all a matter of view. We all have the radar. We walk around at the center of our universe and we see everything in relationship to ourselves. But not all of us have a DRT, not all of us have a dead reckoning tracer, which is the ability to see ourselves objectively from above amidst everything, not the center of everything, but just one piece, one aspect moving in relation to everything else around us. I share this story with you not because it's it's so instructive, which I think it is, and so perspective. But there is a skill here. There's a skill to be learned here. And that skill is how to get above yourself and look down. How to get above yourself and look down instead of being inside yourself, always looking out. If you get above yourself looking down, what will you see? Well, in my case, you'll see Mark. Mark Winwood down there, Mark, who had a uh, you know challenging life and lots of ups and downs, and and uh, you know lost both his parents and and again the marriages, the divorces, the, the the children, the the challenges of working a very very stressful job in in Manhattan, very uh, very demanding, very stressful, lots of changes going on all the time, always wondering if I was capable to handle what was coming my way in in a professional way in a successful way and you know getting pushed around a lot in the world banging into people banging into situations and challenges here and there you know and that that was me there i was in, in new york and then down in florida you know here's here's where i had joy here's where i got hurt here's where changes big changes occurred And here I am now, an elderly man living out in Washington, hopefully with still a a ways to go, hopefully a ways to go. So when you stay up above and you look down, you can see how awesome things can be. You can look down, you can look down at yourself. You look down at your own body. You see the thousands of things that have to work together in this body so it can live and breathe and move about. You know, How does a body like this come to be? Is it just by chance? What's the purpose? Is there a purpose of it all? Is this lifetime we trace in the air, is it just some kind of a random walk, or is it going somewhere? You know, when you're up here looking down, you begin to ask questions like that. You begin to ask, you know, what is this, and what is it, where did it come from, and where is it going? These questions are important. I think we need to ask these questions, and I think as we get older, and we experience more and more We watch so much more going on around us. We learn from what's happening around us. I think we need to ask these questions. And when we do, when we authentically and genuinely begin to look at who are we, and what are we, and where are we, and <laughs> what are we a part of? I think the answers become very, very clear that we are an interactive aspect. We are an interdependent aspect. We are a impermanent, always changing aspect in an environment in which everything around us is changing all the time. And again, from that point of view, for some, not for all necessarily, but for some, from that point of view, develops or emerges or blossoms like a, like a big, beautiful flower, blossoms a sense of responsibility and in, in an instinctive, intuitive, authentic, non-disputable sense of responsibility to be involved, to care for others, to develop a, an empathy, to develop an equanimity toward everything around us. And from that develops a diminishing of self-centeredness comes a lessening of me, myself, and I, and, and mine, and I must, and I want, and I don't want, and I must have, that whole thing begins to fall apart, begins to crumble. And it doesn't disappear completely, but it begins to even out. The me, myself, and I begins to even out with the we and the us and the ours. O-U-R-S hours, it all begins to even out and this, this self-centered, this instinctively, like the radar, like the radar that sees everything around it in relation to itself, coming closer, moving away, being larger, being smaller, moving quickly, moving slowly, everything in relation to itself, that begins to diminish, that begins to... Uh, no longer hold any truth, and what we begin to see around us, always around us, is the the DRT perspective, the dead reckoning tracer that shows us as just to use again that navy metaphor that shows us once again as just another. Another piece of garbage floating in the ocean or another iceberg floating in the ocean among numerous, numerous other icebergs, all kind of bumping into each other and floating around and diminishing a little bit and following the currents and flipping, you know, sliding up and down. And that's the perspective what we get from up above, from up above and we develop the perspective from up above by asking very authentically and very genuinely quieting down and asking investigating very authentically who am i and where am i and what am i among and how am i here And what am I going to do with the rest of my life as long as that might last? And from that, we'll hopefully develop the perspectives, the insights, and the truth of being one among many and being responsible to the many. So this is The Elegant Mind. And yes... This perspective of we and us and ours instead of me and mine, this perspective cultivates, enriches the elegance of our mind, the elegant mind, the beautiful, the beautiful mind, the passionate mind, the generous, patient, loving, wise, fearless, strong, and clear mind, the elegant mind. So this is Mark Winwood, and once again I thank you. Come visit us. We, you know, we're in Duval, Washington, Duval. We're online at www. Shenrizigproject.org. We're in Longevity Foods sharing these principles and these perspectives every other Thursday although in October we'll only be meeting on the first Thursday of the month as I will be overseas for the rest of the month we'll then get back in November We're planning a residential weekend retreat after the new year in the Duval area Friday night, all day Saturday Saturday night and Sunday where we'll get together with group of folks and discuss subject to be determined meditations and so on and again if you have uh, any questions or insights i am looking for folks in the area that might be interested in sharing their views in an interview format to be broadcast here if you're interested in that if you uh, want just want to learn more or would like to introduce yourself and are unable to come to the uh, meetings at Longevity, please send me an email at the elegant mind at valley1049.org. And I'll uh, I'll get that email and I will get right back to you. In the meantime, thank you once again uh, so much for listening and enjoy the beautiful fall weather that we're having here in the Snoqualmie Valley and I hope the autumn is equally beautiful and enjoyable and cool for you wherever you may be. Thank you once again and we'll go off with as we come on each broadcast we'll go off with uh, some music from Bobby Vega and we'll see you again soon. Thanks again. Bye-bye.